Hello, hello. Welcome to the Making a Marketer podcast, the marketing show for all levels of experience with the best guests in the industry. Get ready to learn and laugh. Here we go with your hosts, Megan Powers with Powers of Marketing and Jen Cole with Social Media Examiner. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Making a Marketer podcast. This show is sponsored by Powers of Marketing. We provide strategic communication, consulting, training, the whole kit and caboodle for small to medium-sized businesses. And I'm a writer at my core, and I love a good story. And I wanted to have a somebody who is a true pro on content on the show, and that is Melanie Diesel. Welcome, Melanie. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Yay. So, okay. I just know that this is just going to be a taste. I know that I'm going to have to have you back and do a longer show with Miss Jen Cole. She's watching us. Hi, Jen. I haven't actually done the share comment thing in a while. So there she is. Hi, Jen. Fun. <laughs> okay. I'm going to give you a brief bio on Melanie. She's the founder and chief content officer of StoryFuel, the author of the Content Fuel Framework, How to Generate Unlimited Story Ideas, and an international keynote speaker recognized as one of the world's leading experts in native advertising and branded content. As a speaker, she's taught marketers around the globe to brainstorm better, think like journalists, and tell better brand stories. She is a member of the National Speakers Association and has graced the stages of industry-leading events like Content Marketing World, Native Ad Days, Social Media Marketing World, Inbound, South by Southwest, and more. Well, that's quite a list you have there. And we were just talking about Social Media Marketing World. Was it before we hit record? I can't remember. It was, yeah. It was just before we started. I think what's so interesting is Social Media Marketing World was one of the last events, I think, before most of us found ourselves stuck at home. It was right at the very beginning of March. And I think it was probably one of the last events of its size. That was a pretty big event, about 5,000, I think, 4,000. Four-ish. Yeah, I think some people went on to Florida for podcast, for PodFest or something. But yeah, I yeah. think you're right. Those were the last couple of events. I even attended one in February that kind of felt like, should we shake people's hands? You know, we were kind of like, not yeah. sure. But how blessed are we to have had that experience before? And to have gotten out safely, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it. we are all very lucky, those of us who have managed to keep our health throughout all this time. So... No question. I think, I mean, I haven't heard of anyone attending that got sick from being nope. there. So that is a lovely thing because that's always a concern. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of COVID <laughs> transition, <laughs> I have a client, a new client of the Infectious Diseases Society of America's Foundation. And they are sort of seizing this opportunity when infectious disease is on everyone's mind to elevate the need for more money directed towards research, but also to get more people interested in the specialty as doctors. Yeah. So when I first talked to them about the opportunity, the thing that struck me first was oh, the stories that could come out of this. The people who are getting affected, who are losing parents, who are losing relatives, who are losing friends, and then who might choose this as their lane. Now, that's a really long play, right, yeah, to get to yeah. that story. But it just struck me as a part of what I'm doing. And overall, basically, I'm auditing and helping to create a strategy for their communication overall for everything that they're doing, because they haven't really had anyone dedicated prior till now to doing this. So, yeah. and I have a team of folks that I'm working with and storytelling is, is going to be the, the biggest thing to talk about women and infectious disease. And, you know, there's programs that they have that I think can be leveraged. 
So I want to talk about first content at a high level, and then we'll get into your framework. As an English major, I personally felt a little handcuffed by all the rules when I was writing. So I I think like looking back now, right, I, I feel like in reflecting on it today to prepare for this, I was kind of thinking like, I feel like I didn't really become a an interesting writer. I mean, I, I, I'm, I was an English major. So having to read literature and write about that, you know, all that kind of stuff, but got to write some other stuff. But once I started blogging and really talking from my own viewpoint in the way that I was thinking and not being concerned about not being able to start a word, yeah. you know, a sentence with the word and, and, you know, all those, are, <laughs> all those, it's crazy, but I feel like yeah. that's what kind of helped me get out of my shell and really start to write. Yeah. Well, they, they say the, the rules are in place to help you early on when you're not sure what to do. Once you know those rules, we can choose to break them in a more artful way, right? Right. Yeah. So long as it helps add impact and, you know, and help you t- helps you tell the story, right? Yeah. So what's your take on people who think you have to have, you have to be naturally gifted at storytelling? Do you think it's something that we can easily learn or do you think it's innate? I think it's 100% learnable. I think so much of the way our education system works and sort of these mythical origin stories that we are sold from pop culture, whether that's movies, films, you know, the startup coverage that we see kind of creates this belief that creativity or innovation or, or any of these sort of really brain heavy activities are either innate or they're just totally random. You know, someone, you know, happened to bump into someone or happened to witness something that sparked some magical idea. But so much of what we do is actually made better by having a system. And so if you are feeling that I don't know how to come up with ideas or I don't know what stories to tell, my guess is the much more truthful statement is that you don't have a system for coming up with ideas. And if you had a system, you'd be able to do it. It's sort of like people say, oh, I'm forgetful. But sometimes if you make a list, you're able to follow that list and get things done, right? Or I'm not a good cook. But if you have a recipe and you know what to do in what order, then sometimes that helps your outcome. So having a system for your productivity can function in much the same way. For sure. Yeah. It's funny because I'm a totally a list maker, but I don't always look at it. It's almost like at the activity of writing it helps, yeah. helps put it in my head so that I know that I need. But I also am that person who will add something to a list if I've done it just so I can check it off. So, <laughs> there's it's that. true. I'm the same way. <laughs> it's, it's like that, I don't know, having a feeling of accomplishment or something. So Yeah. Well, and, used, and psychologically, we know that helps us, right? It creates, yes. it, for some people, that feeling of like, oh, I made some progress. I got something done. I'm feeling more and more inspired. Yeah, to, to move on to the next item. So I find that I add the very little things where I'm like, got the mail, you know, took a shower. The, so I'm like, yes, look how productive I am. Now I'm ready to tackle that big project I've been putting off because I have so much positive momentum, you know? That is awesome. Yes. Personal things are just as worthy of being put on a list, especially That's since right. we've all been, I mean, I've been working from home for a long time. So yeah. that for me wasn't as big of an adjustment, but I definitely have started putting personal things intermingled <laughs> with my work things because, yeah. you know, what else has there been to do? But to it's just- got to get done. Yeah, exactly. All right. So for me, I used to get inspired the most when I was on an airplane. So probably 75% of the blogs that I've written, I wrote when I was flying. So, and I've heard the same thing from other authors. I don't know if it's Mark yeah. Schaefer or some somebody like went, flew to Japan, like went on a trip to the Far East and just wrote the whole way there and back and got and knocked out a book. That's impressive. <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's the knowing what to write about, really, that's, that can be the challenge. So let's talk about that framework, this structure that you mentioned, yeah. that you've developed. Tell us about it. I know it's a yeah. lot. but It is yeah. a lot. But yeah. I think 
hopefully what kind of the, the framework itself, we don't have to go into everything about it, right. but the framework itself will really help. So essentially what happened is I would find that when I was working with clients, after I would speak at an event or run a workshop, people would say, well, how do you do that? Where you come up with ideas like so quickly, you know, someone would call out and say, oh, this doesn't work for my business because I don't know, I make microchips for x-ray machines or something. And I'd say, oh, wait, okay, here we go. What about this and this and this and this, right? And so people would say, how do I do that? Where does that come from? And I couldn't answer that question. And that drove me nuts. I didn't, I couldn't explain how I was doing it. And so I couldn't teach it. So the framework is actually me doing a lot of like soul searching and thinking through what's the process happening in my head and how can I document it to let other people take advantage of the same system that I'm using. So what I realized is my brain was just asking two questions. What is this content about? And then what's the best way to bring it to life? So I had a ready-made list of focuses, what the content could be about. I had a ready-made list in my head that I would run down and say, could I tell this story through the lens of data, history, people, et cetera, et cetera. And then I would ask, well, what's the best way to bring that story to life? Is it writing, video, audio, timeline, map, quiz, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the book, The Content Fuel Framework, walks through 10 of those focuses that you can use with tons of examples and then 10 of those formats so that you will also have this sort of ready-made you know, system in your head. So this is one of the pages in the book and it basically has a grid, right? So you'll see, it's tough to see, but you, since I just explained it, you'll see the focuses are across the top, people, basics, history, et cetera. And then down the side are the different formats here. And so what you end up with in your head, like we're saying, having a system is, I know there's a grid of 100 potential ideas for any one story I need to tell. And to your point about the to-do list, the goal isn't to make all of them, but that if you have an understanding of here's 10 possible focuses and 10 possible formats, one of those combinations is going to jump out as the right one for the particular story need that you have. Right. And then you can tie it to your strategy. And yes, of course, to repurposing, right? Like for me, for this podcast, it's funny because this is going to sound silly, but I didn't really realize I'm a creator until just a few months ago. I'm not kidding. Yeah, it was in February. Yeah. And I was like, I'm a podcaster. I'm creating. I'm creating with this podcast. Yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> Actually, I yeah. wanted to wear I have a t-shirt that says create every day and I wanted to wear it, but I but I couldn't find it. So anyway, there's so much that we're doing that can be repurposed. I have not done it yet. It's on the list, yeah. but making well, blog posts out of like this show, for example. One, or, of, you know. one of the best things. So, and I think that's really the power of understanding what all your options are, right? It's a little bit like in many cases when we're doing a content brainstorm, coming back to our, our recipe analogy, we're trying to make a meal without knowing what all the ingredients are. If we don't know what all the ingredients in the pantry, we're not really sure what we can even create. And so I think when you have a list of potential focuses and formats, it helps ideas start percolating. So right now we're using the format that is live video, right? We're live broadcasting. Obviously the recorded version of that is static video, regular video. You can extract the audio and have the podcast. You can have a text-based transcript or like a blog post version of it. So that would be written content. My guess is you're going to have a graphic or a, you know, a screen grab or something. So now you've got images, right? So we have a lot of different formats already represented just in this one thing that you're doing. But as you start to think about, well, what about an infographic? I wonder if there's a way for us to grab certain quotes from the conversation and turn those into some sort of infographic or pull out some stats that we may have mentioned or that are related to the topic and create some infographics. So 
as you see those different options, it kind of gives you a spark and you might think, okay, well, maybe there's a way to tell the story through a different way. Yeah, actually, that's a great idea. Create. I should create an infographic with like top quotes from like 10 different episodes or something. That's yeah. Really and so as a, as a focus, when we're talking about the different focuses, I would say that's a curation focused content that your idea is to go around and collect different pieces, right? To collect quotes from different people and then present that in the form of an infographic. For that one, you might even want to go with writing because that would really help with your search, right? If those quotes and all those different people are, you know, are coming up. Right. All right. So Jen Cole has a question. Do you feel like the more content you consume, the more likely you'll be inspired to create better quality work? I love this question. This is a great question. And I'm going to put two qualifiers in there. Okay. The more quality content you consume, the more you'll be inspired to create quality content. So one of the challenges that many of us have is you have to create the kind of content you want to be or consume the kind of content you want to be creating. So if you're reading a bunch of like, you know, personal blog posts and you're trying to create a brand, then that may not be the right one-to-one comparison because you'll be emulating or inspired by maybe the, the wrong type of content. You know, same thing if you were working in you want to look at people who are creating in the same formats you do of the same quality, the same frequency, because you want to model yourself after, after people who are doing what you want to do, right? So I would say consume content that is at your level and above, because that's how you're going to continue to strive and, and learn and try new things. The other thing I really want to stress, and I think this is particularly important right now with the conversations that are happening societally for all of us right now, It is very easy for us to consume a lot of content that comes from people who are just like us. And the algorithms that govern our lives online will continuously show us more content that is just like what we already like, right? So you're going to get similar books, similar movies, similar people to follow, similar books, right? I mean, everything is going to be similar. And when that happens, you're not going to get enough diverse input, both in terms of diversity in the conversation we're having now, but also thematic diversity, geographic diversity, all the other, you know, genre diversity. You're not going to have enough diverse inputs to have new ideas. You're going to keep pumping out more of the same stuff. So my recommendation is always have good quality content that you're consuming, but also try really hard to get outside the algorithms and consume content that is different from what you would normally get human recommendations. Let people introduce you to shows, music, podcasts, books that you wouldn't find otherwise. You know, make a point to diversify the inputs so that you can diversify your output. That is a great point. I never really thought about that. I mean, I know like good writers read. I know know that, but I never really qualified it like that. Like good writers read good writing. (laughs) Yes, right. Exactly. Well, and the other thing is... when it comes to that diversity as well is that oftentimes the best ideas are really the marrying of two other ideas. And often it's the fact that they are different ideas married together that has it, has it make sense, right? So in order for you to have all that different content that you're consuming, that, you know, it might be high quality, but if it's all the same, you're going to find yourself feeling a lack of inspiration and feeling a sense of content sameness. How do I stand out? It's all been done. If you're consuming content being created by, you know, the Infectious Disease Center, as well as the Architecture Association, as well as, I don't know, an oil drilling company, as well as a local veterinarian or a local florist, you're going to see such a diversity of budget levels, of focuses, of audiences, of tools, of, of so many different things, voices and faces and perspectives. It's really going to allow you to see totally new things. And some of that might inspire you to apply it to what it is that you're doing. I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. And I think there are so many podcasts now, not as many active. There's probably 850,000 podcasts. I think you said 700,000, I think, because at the time that was it, obviously, this is a moving target. But 
something <laughs> like, I don't know, two thirds of podcasts don't make it past like eight right. episodes or something like that. So yeah, but the beauty of it to me and why I always get so tickled when people tell me that they listen to this show, because podcast is the hardest, you don't get the feedback that you get on, on other platforms. But yeah, but I'm always like, oh, because they feel like they know you in a way that's different than if they're just reading. I mean, yeah, ri- writers also get that benefit. But I think this is like, and and I and every other show is live. This is the like the mid show we do shorter that's done live, and then yeah. the other one is just audio because I want to walk the walk in terms of marketing. But also, yeah. I want I want to use you know have kind of a add some dimension to the show and give a chance for people to see the face behind the voice or in front of the voice around yeah. the voice, <laughs> whatever, so whatever that, that is. Together, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I think it is really important. You know, one of the things we know as content consumers is that we're drawn to different types of content, right? Some people like reading audiobooks, some like reading a physical book, some like looking at an ebook, some people prefer, you know, sort of a, a video presentation of some kind. We all consume and and internalize and learn information in different ways. And so the more options you give your audience, the the bigger the chance that you're going to reach an audience you might not have otherwise. I mean, one of the other wonderful advantages of podcasts, and I know that this is a little bit disrupted given everyone's lack of commute right now, is audio content allows you to engage with your audience when they can't engage with anything else you create, right? You're not going to read a blog post while you're driving, I hope, right? You're not going to watch a video while you're in the shower, but you know, you can listen to something while you're washing dishes, changing a diaper, whatever it is you happen to be doing with your hands, you can still listen, right? Right. And so that's a huge advantage in the very crowded content landscape that we're all operating in. You know, there's less competition in that space for you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Jen has another question. All right. What are some things we can do to prevent our content from getting stale? And what are some signs that it's time to Mm -hmm. do these things? This is a good question. So I'm going to answer the second part first. What are some signs it's time to to do things to, to mix it up? I think the first sign is that you feel less excited about creating your content. Now, that's always going to be a scale, right? Some of the content we create is just a lot of work. It's not maybe not fun to edit your videos or edit your podcast or whatever the case may be. I get that. But if all of a sudden you go from enjoying something to putting it off or hating it or trying to outsource it or skipping it, that's a pretty good sign that something's not working for you anymore. So if you're feeling like it's stale, that's a good sign. The flip side would be if your audience is telling you explicitly or otherwise that it's stale. So they may be saying, you know, maybe you're not getting as much positive sentiment, maybe you're getting more negative sentiment or engagement, or maybe you've stopped getting engagement at all. Those are all signs that it's probably time to to reevaluate what you're doing and see if it's time to freshen up. In terms of what you can do when you sense those things and you're ready to, to mix things up, the first thing I would do is really take a look at what has worked for you in the past. And so if certain themes, topics, presentations, you know, if you look back at your data and you see that these live shows are performing better or getting, giving you more emails and, and, and feedback than some of the others, well, that might be an indication that, hey, if I want to increase my engagement and I want to ha- have more fun, then I should do these things that are giving me more engagement. So look at your historical data, see what has worked well by whatever your factors are, right? Whatever's not stale for you, uh, either what made you happy, what got a lot of engagement, et cetera. So look at those and optimize toward what worked well in the past. The other thing I would really suggest is trying something totally new. And I know that can seem intimidating. You know, if you've always been a podcaster and podcasting is just not lighting your fire all of a sudden, then start a YouTube channel. 
or start a blog and see what happens, right? You've got to give yourself enough of a, a runway to actually give it a chance. You know, don't write three blog posts and decide it, your blog is a failure, you know, but I think sometimes when you pull yourself completely out of your comfort zone and try a completely new format or a completely new series or, you know, some sort of system around what you're creating, put it in a different place. It forces you to think outside the box. It forces you to sort of build from the ground up, even just momentarily. And sometimes that's even just a good thought exercise. Maybe do Doing that for a little bit, you'll get an insight that says, ah, this is what was missing from my podcast. And now if I change the format of the podcast and I reorder these segments or I try it this different way that I learned over here playing with YouTube, now I'm going to be able to reignite that fire that was missing in the podcast before. Right. I love it. Yeah. I had some inspiration. We had Andrew and Pete on, we recorded with them while at Social Media Marketing World. So check that episode out if you're listening and I haven't yet. The topic was uh, how to get an ROI from social media. But I, it was funny because it ended up being like a little coaching session for me, which, <laughs> you know, sometimes happens. But to help sort of ignite me uh, with my restaurant clients yeah. to do some some different stuff. So, all right, we're running low on time. <laughs> so I'm going to um, skip to my bonus question, which I think is important. So it's a really challenging time right now, trying to balance world issues, COVID-19, Black Lives Matter, primarily, so do you have any tips for marketers who want to show empathy while also still needing to move their business forward? Any tips? Yeah, I mean, some of this I think is is more general, but the very first thing I recommend everyone needs to be doing at this time is pause and audit. And what I mean by that is I don't care if it's your blog, your email autoresponders, your website copy, look at everything because the images that you've been using, the language that you've been using, they mean something different right now meanings have changed, right? So right. let's say you had, you talk about going viral on somewhere that you're going to help your clients go viral. No one wants to go viral right now. Like, let's not do that, right? right? You know, let's, let's say you have imagery on your website that is lacking in diversity or that shows direct handshakes, which is not something we're doing right now. You don't want people to have a sort of cringe reaction to something you created in the past, scheduled in the past, launched in the past, because you didn't adapt it for the current environment. So pause and audit everything that you're doing. That goes for the messaging that you want to put forth too. So just as an example, I normally launch a high ticket mastermind in the summer where I train storytellers one-on-one -on -one over the course of 12 weeks. It's an amazing program. It's a lot of fun. We always have, have a great time together. However, the enrollment period was in April and May, as many, many people were experiencing layoffs, were experiencing illness in their family. And for me, it just didn't feel like the right time to ask people, even people who seemed interested in the past, to make those kinds of commitments emotionally, time-wise, and financially during the time. So we've opted to, to push that off and do it another time. So you may find that there are certain initiatives, launches, products, and messages that it makes sense to put off because it's just not appropriate at this time. But the reality is all of us are in business in some way. We do probably have conversions we need to request. We have calls to action we need to make. So the one thing I would caution you is, again, before you put any of those out, ask yourself very seriously, is now the right time? And am I messaging this in a way that is human and empathetic? So 
you know, I've seen a lot of messaging, for example, from schools, a lot of schools, higher education, online learning are, are advertising pretty heavily right now. And they're not saying, hey, pay some tuition because they're acknowledging we're all struggling, but they're talking about you can use this time to make a change in your career, to learn a new skill, to better position yourself and your family for the future. And we have financial aid available. So they're aware of the context. They're acknowledging that reality through their email, through their, you know, their social messaging, through all that marketing, all that content. So acknowledging the reality and really making sure that it's as empathetic and contextually aware as possible. So if it is relevant, if it is necessary, again, just be human, be empathetic and put that message out in a way that's going to resonate with people and not leave a bad taste in their mouth because you're just going business as usual. Right. Of course. Yeah. So then the question becomes, there's no end to this race, right? Like this social change that's happening isn't like, oh, we're going to be done in two weeks. And so that's for me where I'm trying to find that place. We have been acknowledging, you know, the tone of the world, my restaurant clients. I mean, it's, they just reopened. So to not market for them, you know, I'm going to get fired. So I'm trying to do a good job of balancing and not being rah, 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 but you know, who wouldn't want a margarita right now for one. So I'm just trying to like, you know, not post as much, but also, and also show a little bit of empathy when I can, but it's also kind of a weird thing because you're like, you, we want you to come eat here. You know, it's just kind of a weird, Yeah, it's really hard. It is hard. It is hard. And I think, I think it's important for us to admit that it's hard. Right. And I think sometimes admitting that to our customers in so far, that's why I talk about being human and being transparent. You know, the best contact that I have received is, you know, from, from brands during this time is people who have said, you know, we know we have more to do in this space, or we've lacked in these particular areas, whether that's, you know, safety or or supporting, you know, supporting equality in various ways. So being open about that, showing what you're really doing, I think is what's important. I think the biggest misstep you can make is having some sort of false empathy or, you know, false right. show of solidarity that isn't there. And if you look at the various brands and executives who are having their comeuppance over the last, you know, the last few weeks where they're, they're really getting found out, it's the people who are saying one thing and very clearly doing or not doing something else, right? So it's the right. people saying, we're with you, but we're not going to help you at all. Or, you know, right. we stand together, even though we have a 100% white executive board and we pay our employees of color less, right? When there's a mismatch between your words and your actions as a brand, that's the biggest, you know, trust issue you're going to have. So be honest with yourself first of what are we doing or not doing, and right. then try as best you can to be honest with your audience through through your messaging so that they know that you're aware and what you're doing. Because I think we really want to do business with people we know, like, and trust, especially right now. There's so much uncertainty, even for all of us as marketers, right? We we want that sense of truth and trust and, and certainty in so far as we can get it. Absolutely. Well, you are such a smarty pants. I'm so happy. I just feel really blessed that you were able to take the time and give us even just a snippet, a brief view of. And so I, I think Jen's going to put the link to get your book yeah. in the comments. We didn't have a ton of people on live. I do see like five people didn't get a lot of interaction. But if anybody has any questions for either Melanie or myself, drop them in, especially if you're listening on the replay or watching on YouTube. Yeah, we do put the video. I don't curate my YouTube 
YouTube channel very well, but I do, those videos do get put up on YouTube <laughs> and then we pull the audio for the podcast. So I appreciate your time so much, Melanie, and good luck with the move. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me and letting me share my story. And, and please do let us know if you have questions, even on the replay, if there's anything my team and I at Historic Field can do to help you find your story, share your story. The world needs it. So we'd be happy to help. Absolutely. All right. Thanks so much. And thanks everyone for watching, listening on the live or the replay. This has been episode 57. There's one more in season three. Coming up episode 58, we have Amy Tischler and Caitlin Jenkins. We already recorded that one and it's a really good episode. So look forward to that. All right. Thanks so much. And we will catch you next time.